from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Battling back. We've never had fields that just didn't make it to harvest. See how Louisiana's sugarcane harvest is faring after a summer of extreme drought and dryness. Say goodbye to writing down crop numbers in notebooks, a look at the tools of the farming future that contain a big dose of AI as the markets prepare for a new round of numbers. I don't think that there, there's been enough demand yet to say we need to increase these estimates today. And the impact world markets could have here on Growers at Home, right now on Ag. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Markets will be on high alert today for the release of the last supply demand report of the year. And if this month is anything like last month's report from USDA, it could be a big market mover. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, last month forecasters made a big revision on corn yields. Clinton, in the December WASDE, USDA generally makes very few changes in the domestic supply and demand balance sheet. So the big focus is going to be on South American production for both corn and soybeans, but this year in particular for Brazil. Brazil has faced weather issues and planting delays from too dry in the north to too wet in the south, and there's even been some replanting. So the trade is expecting lower production following the trends set by private firms in Conab, which shaved Brazil corn production by about a half million metric tons to 118.5, and soybeans by 2.2 million metric tons to 160. However, at least one market analyst expects USDA to play it more conservative. It would not be at all surprising to see them hold path this month and wait till the January WASDE to, to make some more significant changes. A lot of private estimates have already started to move a little lower on Brazilian soybean production, CONAB being one of them uh, this morning, but doesn't seem to be a lot of estimates you know, cutting significant production yet, and I think that's probably okay. Cronin says Argentina should see a rebound in production after drought last year with average trade estimates on corn at 55 million metric tons and for soybeans 48.4. Domestic balance sheet changes are expected to be small with ending stocks on soybeans at 243 million bushels versus 245 last month. Corn at 2.152 billion bushels down 4 million bushels from November and wheat unchanged at 684 million bushels. So we're probably just getting enough demand to kind of hold serve with the USDA estimates that we already have. I don't think that there, there's been enough demand yet to say we need to increase these estimates today. For world ending stocks, the estimates are unchanged for wheat, slightly lower for corn and up about 2 million metric tons for soybeans. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Those numbers will be released at noon Eastern time. We will put them up on Ag Day's social media sites, and you can look for full analysis on agweb.com and Monday morning right here on Ag Day. The Pacific Northwest is finally getting a break following a series of atmospheric rivers while it's not very December-like in the heartland. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us with more. Matt? Yeah, looking ahead, we're going to see a lot of rain moisture in and across the United States, but things have kind of shifted. If we we're talking about these two pieces 
phasing together, coming together. That's going to be the moisture down here to the south and this trough digging from the north. If they were to phase perfectly, we'd be talking about a pretty significant system. But as it stands, uh, most of the moisture that, that we're going to be seeing coming in is going to be separate from the best lift in the atmosphere. That does not mean it's going to be dry across the United States. Now this is Friday at 5 p.m. Could actually see some thunderstorms develop back down here into Missouri and down south into Louisiana Friday and into Saturday morning. And then on the trailing cold front, you got the blue here, which is going to be the potential for some snow. So again, there's Saturday into our Saturday night with that low pressure system taking off to the north, but that trough still trailing back down here with the cold front. You see the amount of moisture this is going to pick up uh, over the next uh, 24 to 48 hours and then into the weekend and next week. It's going to dump a good amount of rainfall uh, over on the East Coast and that's Sunday and into our Sunday afternoon and into our Monday as that cold front that cold air catches up uh, to that moisture could get uh, some snow uh, up in the higher elevations. If you know where a snowshoe West Virginia is located, they're certainly going to welcome some of this moisture coming through wet uh, soaking rain in the forecast a uh, Sunday. That's a Sunday at about 7 p.m. And go ahead and take a look at your screen here. The very latest uh, coming out of Canada. It really doesn't uh, get any better than this regarding sunrises. Uh, Dylan sending this one in. He said his phone doesn't do it justice. They never do. But we think this is pretty special. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. An effort to reduce nitrogen levels in the Mississippi River appears to be working. The American Farm Bureau Federation saying that a new report from EPA shows 12 participating states have met interim nitrogen reduction goals on the river, and the goals were completed two years ahead of schedule thanks to the hard work of farmers and ranchers. Now, the initial goal was to cut nutrient losses by 20% by the year 2025, but it reports nitrogen loss has already been reduced by 23%. The report also outlines the need for more progress in the reduction of phosphorus loss, with a long-time goal of 48% reduction in phosphorus loads by the year 2035. If you don't have great internet, USDA is hoping to fill in the gaps soon. Take a look at this map. It shows the areas eligible and also utilizing USDA's ReConnect program. The project aims to fill in the gaps for high-speed internet in unserved or underserved rural areas. Now you can see those areas in green are those without a ReConnect program. However, the spots in purple have projects pending while the areas in brown are where projects have been approved. The $5 billion for the ReConnect program helps provide grants and loans to private sector companies so they can service rural areas that might not otherwise be profitable to reach. Grain markets respond to continued export sales. We'll talk prices and trends coming up next. And later, the sweet success of sugarcane harvest in Louisiana. We'll tag along as the crop comes in in the country. Ag Day is brought to you by Tyrannus, moving the acre forward. Every acre tells a story. Find yours at acreforward.com. That's acreforward.com. Farmers can now apply for financing and check their loans online as FSA works to streamline the loan process. USDA announcing producers, for example, can submit their loan application online through FSA. And there are other options now too. 
some additional interactive guided support, as well as use their electronic signature option to submit that loan application online. And they can do that from their computer, from a tablet, or from their cell phone. Access for individual farmers is available at farmers.gov loan dash assistance dash tool. And USDA says it's also doing work to make the online loan app available to married couples filing jointly on tax returns starting next year. Soybeans pushed higher on Thursday thanks to some good export news and the lack of rain for the Brazilian crop. Michelle Rook is back with more in Markets Now. Joining us with Markets, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Well, a lot of focus here recently on China and their economic situation. Do you think the worst is past? I think it is, Michelle, from a standpoint of the government stepping in and moving more aggressively to shore up their consumption. They, they just have to have their consumer back because the, the command economy that China works, they can come in and take on bad debt and dissolve it relatively easy compared to us. Um, from a theoretical standpoint, they've got a, a one person essentially moving the needle uh, instead of a democracy. And so from that standpoint, I think they can take care of their bad debt okay, but they can't lose their consumer any more than they already have, and they are making headway on that. I think secondly, we are seeing, I think, a thaw between the U.S. and China when it comes to trade, when it comes to ag trade. And I think that's part of the puzzle pieces when it comes to this U.S. soft red wheat purchase that we continuously see by China. So I'm inclined to think the worst is behind us, but watch that pork and bean trade, the hogs and the soybeans. They've been excellent indicators, in my opinion, of how the trade feels uh, from a sentiment standpoint about what's going on in China. So if we can see hogs and soybeans find a bottom uh, together, I think that's real supportive. What about the energy sector, though, because that's taken a big hit because of China economic concerns, too. And will that continue? I think the energy markets are priming for a low as we get into the end of the year, first of next year. Two reasons. I think the dollar has another wave down, potentially. That should support the energy market. Probably more importantly, I think both OPEC, in terms of OPEC Saudi Arabia, OPEC Russia, I think they want to keep the prices elevated and they'll keep cutting. So I think unlike what we have had to deal with in the wheat market, you've got this major cartel able to turn on and off the spigot and offset our production increases here in the United States. And I think between that and the Middle East, um, I think we're due for some short covering in the not too distant future when it comes to the crude oil market, especially. Thanks for your analysis. As always, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. We'll have more Egg Day coming up. That's after forecast. The next couple of days is going to feature kind of a, a split between the above average and the below average. But the cold air uh, isn't going to be sticking around for an extended period of time. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, later on this afternoon, we've got uh, the green indicating the 60s matched up next to the 50s and the 30s. As we go through the weekend, you'll see that uh, contour uh, gets a, a lot tighter uh, over the United States. So you got more of the 30s in the morning matched up to the 20s and then eventually the teens and then the 60s back down into the southeast. So that's coming up for tomorrow morning. You'll see where that cold front is located by tomorrow afternoon with the 50s matched up to near 70 degrees. And then there's the 62 in Dallas matched up uh, to an 81. Cold front located back out here towards the, uh, the west and northwest. Uh, but that cold, dry air isn't sinking that far down 
to the south. I mean, it is 62 in Dallas, 54 in Tulsa, but this is not one of those cold air Arctic blasts moving through the United States, and you'll see why. You know, the jet stream on Friday and Saturday, it's going to keep moving, meaning the cold air, that pocket of cold air up and across the Dakotas uh, isn't going to stay and dig south. Rather, it's going to move out towards the east. So by Sunday and Monday, we're looking at direct impacts with cold air and also some moisture along the east coast with this trough, the big U exiting to the east. But look what's behind it. Another ridge of high pressure is going to try to build in Sunday and into Monday. The tracks will be laid for another clipper system back up into Michigan and Canada. Overall, though, ridge of high pressure down here to the south, this half circle right here, is going to keep any energy and reinforcing shots of cold air staying back up to the north, rather dropping south. Let's go take a look at the Ontario, not Canada, Ontario, Oregon. Partly cloudy, high of 46, sunny, 65 degrees, New Mexico, low about 31 degrees, and bumpus in Virginia. Partly cloudy, high around 58 degrees. Artificial intelligence is everywhere. We'll see how it's finding its way into agriculture coming up next. And later, we're off to Louisiana where the sugarcane crop is rolling in. We'll check on harvest in the country. More notebooks full of numbers and file cabinets full of paper. Kansas State is helping producers increase profits by using AI in digital agriculture. Here's a look at some of the tools you could be using in the future. Hello. On this tool, the farmers can select the county that the, their farmer is located. They can select their planting date, uh, their maturity date, if they don't know their maturity date. This will be uh, estimated, will be simulated. They can select the moisture in the maturity of the, the kernel, the moisture that they desire to have in the, the harvesting, and the CRM of the hybrid uh, they planted. And then in the end, they will generate uh, a graph having the growing degree days, uh, emergence window, a flower window, a maturity day uh, estimated or selected, and then finally, a harvesting window. Uh, and on this, they will have also uh, dried out curve of the past uh, of the past years and one of the things that this tool one of the things that really this tool is going to help farmers is to look at when are they need to get ready to harvest so one of the next tool that we want to showcase is connected to um, thinking about how we can move forward nitrogen sensing for corn and, and if you think about this nitrogen sensing has been a big topic and it's still quite challenging in corn to decide what is the optimal rate, and thinking about how to optimize the use of resources. And with here we have uh, one of our students, Leonardo uh, Bocci. He's a student also working in our team, and mainly specifically looking at different options for basically sensors and how to sense for nitrogen. Yeah, so here we have some sensors that we are using for nitrogen sensing corn. Uh, the main objective here is to improve nitrogen management and also minimize uh, environmental impacts. Uh, this is one of the sensors that we are using, a fluorometer. Uh, here we can see all the variables that the sensor reads, all the information that we need uh, to collect in the field, and later to get this data and process this data. So our main goal is to help farmers to improve nitrogen management, uh, being able to sense, uh, to sense nitrogen status, and use this tool to help manage the right nitrogen amount that we need to apply. Pedro, tell us a little bit about what you have been working on on this tool on, on variety trials. So this tool uh, is able to provide almost real-time data for the farmers and 
the user is able to uh, select from different filters and genotypes and of also different years from all of our crop trials. Uh, and with this, the farmer uh, is able to take more decisions relying on data. Thank you, Pedro. And as you can see on the tool, I mean, what we are looking here is we have different crops uh, and all the information, historical data that before was in books, now farmers, they want to have it quickly and immediately we harvest. So farmers can look at comparing different hybrids in corn. They can compare different years and they can look at all the locations and decide what are the best options that they have in terms of taking a decision for hybrid selection in corn or variety selection in sorghum. Uh, same for variety selection on soybeans. So here are some of uh, ideas on how we can get the data immediately into transforming this information into action so we can help farmers almost near real time. With this, we have um, Carlos Hernandez. He's also a student in our team. And he's focusing mainly on a project that is looking at start quantifying, predicting soybean composition, no? focusing on protein uh, and oil. So Carlos, tell us a little bit about what you have been up to in terms of how this information is going to help farmers in the future. This is uh, one of the first results of uh, our project. Um, this was done using AA and remote sensing. And those models can predict uh, in, on the fields uh, the, the soybean uh, seed oil concentration. And with that, the farmers can manage differentially uh, har harvesting different parts of the fields. Uh, taking different markets, uh, markets for them, and with that can um, improve the revenue with them. Well, thanks to K-State for sharing that story with us. Well, technology or not, Brazil is forecast to have a bumper sugar crop, and it's putting pressure on prices as farmers down south work to bring in the harvest. We're off to Louisiana next. And this won't take you but a minute to do. Sign up for the Case IH holiday giveaway. Each lucky winner will get a Case IH prize pack full of great gifts and we'll announce the winners just before Christmas here on Ag Day. Then the grand prize winner will be announced just before the holiday on U.S. Farm Report. They'll win a Farm All Seed Pedal Tracker. To enter, head to the website on your screen, caseihholidaygiveaway.com. sugarcane crop will fall short of last year's record crop, but as LSU Ag Center's Craig Gotro tells us, it isn't as bad as many believed when the harvest started at the end of September. At the end of August, it looked like Louisiana's sugarcane crop was going to be a major disappointment due to an extreme drought. But some timely rains in September helped some of the crop recover. Those that didn't receive these rains are still struggling. So you've got people in the low 20s, you've got people that have already crossed 40 tons per acre. Um, they're going to have a top two or three crop. So it's all over the board as far as yields go. A silver lining to the dry weather is sugar recovery levels are excellent, mainly because little mud is being brought into the mills. We're probably, you know, in the low 230s, pounds of sugar per ton of cane. Uh, that's good sugar recovery. Our, our records are in the mid-240s. On the flip side, the extreme drought is going to lead to thousands of acres going unharvested, which Gravois believes is a first. We probably are not going to harvest four to 5,000 acres of the most severely drought-affected cane. So uh, that's a new one. You know, we've never had fields that just didn't make it to harvest. 
While the total amount of sugar produced in Louisiana will be smaller this year, Gravois said that gap would be even larger if not for an additional 20,000 acres of sugar cane grown this year. We're making up some of that shortfall uh, with additional acreage. The other thing to point out is price is good. So people are going to benefit from a good sugar price. Most meals expected to finish grinding near the end of the year because of the lighter crop, but now some plan to go into January. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotro reporting. All right, thanks, Craig, and that's all the time we have this morning. So glad you tuned in from all of us here at Ag Day. Have a good day.